would be clear and I pray that uh, just frustration and all those kind of things would go away. I pray even as we sit here this morning, Lord, I know there are a thousand things running through our minds and Holy Spirit, would you make clear what you want to say through your word to us this morning and uh, Lord, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, in week two of Advent, I entitled my message, This Christmas. Maybe you guys have heard like trailers, movies say this Christmas, and then it tells you something's going to happen, you know? That's kind of what I'm going for, you know? I don't really have like that trailer voice, like the guy's like, this Christmas. So have that in your mind as we we go through this. Um, But the the subtitle is Anticipation in a Season of Waiting, Um, and I'd like to ask for you to to go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the word. We're in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. And the scripture says, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So... Around Christmas time, Christmas, this Christmas season really is a message. This, this time of year, it's a time that, that points us toward a story. And it, this season slowly starts to build in our society because we have Thanksgiving, which has sort of become like the starting gate, you know? for the consumerism of Christmas, right? Black Friday. Black Friday opens at like 5 p.m. now. It's like not even hard to like get there anymore. It used to be like at midnight, you know? You're just like all caffeined out and ready to brawl with people over that TV or whatever it was. But uh, now it's just too easy. Black Friday is just too easy for people. And you can do it online. But this Christmas idea, as soon as that Thanksgiving kind of ends, this, this idea slowly starts to build momentum, you know, kind of like the snowball down the hill and all of our schedules too, just this frenetic pace that we pursue after in this, in this season. And it's really, that can really rob us of understanding the story. It can really rob us of the anticipation that, that is building, that this story is pointing us toward. Now, not everyone in our culture, if, they're, if you're not from here, if you weren't enculturated here and you didn't grow up celebrating Christmas, can even understand what's going on, but it must be an odd thing to look from the outside and, and try to understand what is Christmas all about, right? Like if you just came here from Mars or whatever, and then you were trying to understand what, what, are, what is the main point of this time of year? You might not arrive at the story of Jesus if you were just looking at our, at our culture, but this time of celebration for those who, who, who know God, for, the, for those who want to proclaim who God is, is a very important celebration. We do know, as a matter, just as a side note, Jesus wasn't born 
on December 25th, just in case. I don't want to ruin anything for you, but we just decided to celebrate it on December 25th. It's not a historic thing that we're going to die on. You know, this is when Jesus was born. We know it. No, he wasn't, in fact. We don't know exactly when he was born. Um, We just took over a Roman holiday where everybody was celebrating. And we just say, we got something that's really worth celebrating. (laughs) The King of Kings was given to this world to come and take away our sins. Let's celebrate that. And uh, so we just kind of, that's kind of what the kingdom of God does. It sort of comes into culture and redeems it throughout history. You know, so if you get someone knocking at your door telling you that Christmas is a pagan holiday or Easter is a pagan holiday, be like, yeah, but we took it over. So come and join us um, because we are going to rule the world someday. Oh, Jesus is. But during this time of year, we, we sort of lose sight, I think, and we, we grasp after consumerism and, and all this stuff, and we complain about it, and, you know, thank God there are bumper stickers to remind us of the reason for the season. But uh, we, even in the consumerism of this time of year, we, we get a glimpse of the meaning of Christmas, because it, it's consumerism, yes, but generally, people are buying things for other people, right? It's this, this it's, this is what we, I think we call the magic of Christmas. People have this sort of weird idea in their head that the Christmas spirit, the magic of Christmas, this time of year that sort of changes people. And they're just getting a, they're just getting a, a glimpse of what a, a famous teacher, probably the most famous teacher, the best teacher ever said, it's better to give than to receive. And so when people engage even in the consumerism and they're, they're gearing up to give a gift to somebody, that magic of Christmas is really just a blessing that God has promised to those who, who sort of walk in his light, who walk in his ways. Jesus, Jesus already told us it's better to give than to receive. And as a kid, you know, as a kid, I didn't understand that. I was just hyped on receiving. I remember I was excited about what it was that I was going to get. Um, when I grew up, they just had really cool toys. Nowadays, they don't so much anymore. Because we had Star Wars action figures, like best toys ever. We had G.I. Joe action figures. We had WWF rubber men, you know? And uh, they're awesome. They were such cool toys. Nowadays, it's like, whatever. Um, uh, and I can't even find the Star Wars action figures anymore. They're like $400, you know, for one little guy. But uh, I just look forward to, to receiving. And it wasn't as I grew up, you know, and my parents helped. Help me understand the Lord. Help me understand Christmas. Like, I began to understand, like, giving is an incredible thing. There is something about giving. So even in our consumerism, I think, in this time of year, we're not totally leaving behind what this story is pointing us toward. And this story is really a story of anticipation. This idea of you sort of know something's coming, and you're getting ready for it, right? You anticipate something. Like, I, I immediately think of boxing or fighting for some reason. But, uh, you know, I just watched the highlights of Ruiz Joshua 2 last night. And uh, we all knew what was going to happen. Uh, Ruiz was going to get destroyed. And he did. And it's fun to watch boxers, you know, because they anticipate. Like, they have their, they're going. And the, the good boxers, they can see, like, okay, he's going to throw this. And then once they figure it out, then it's like, whoosh, you know, they anticipate it. So it's like you can kind of see what's coming, and you prepare for it. You do something about it. That's what this Christmas story is about. The promise of Jesus was that God would come. 
He would send his anointed king to his people, the Jews, who look forward to what's called the Messiah. It means the anointed one. And they were looking forward through all of history to this promise that God has sent. And they were preparing for it. Every year they, they lived out the sort of uh, calendar year that God had prepared for them. And all of these events and festivals and, and the reality of their society was supposed to point the whole world to the glory of God, but also to remind them of the promise that God had sent. Because all of these festivals point to this Messiah, this anointed king. They remind the people what it is that we're here for. We're waiting for God to come and make everything right. So this is what we celebrate at Christmas is the gift that Jesus gives. Now, the passage of scripture that I read from Mark is Jesus teaching his disciples about what's going to happen when he comes back again. He's teaching them before he goes to the cross and dies for the sin of all of humanity and makes a gift of himself to forgive sins. And then he's going to come back again. So now, in a a weird way, we are like the Old Testament folks. We're in between when Jesus is coming back. And we look forward, we anticipate, we long for the time when Jesus is coming back again. And he gives us some instruction. He says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Be alert. Work together. And I tell everybody, he says, I tell everyone, watch out. Keep an eye out. And it's so easy to get distracted. So my first point, as I, as I go through this, just this short passage, the Father knows. He says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Only the, only the Father in heaven. Not the angels, not the Son of Man. Only the Father in heaven knows. Okay? So Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. So when someone tells you that Jesus is coming back on Tuesday at 3.30, they are wrong. They don't know that. Harold Camping was wrong twice and still. And now he passed away, so whatever. But uh, the Mayan calendar was wrong. And nobody knows the day or the hour. And the point here that I want to bring out, Jesus says the Father knows. And I want to, bring, I want to tie this into the Christmas story. And what, what Jesus is saying here is God's got this under control. He knows that his disciples are not going to understand what is about to happen to him. He's been telling him, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mistreated by the leaders. I'm going to die. And I'm going to come back again. And they're like, okay, we're going to die with you. Like, okay, like, what do you mean? Like, they don't get it. And he knows they're going to be disillusioned. He knows they're going to be shaken by what's about to happen to them. And so he tells them, the Father knows. Remember, nobody knows except the Father. Trust in the Father. And I think this is important as we, as we think about Christmas. The Christmas story to me is one of the most cockamamie stories that has ever occurred. It's not a nice story. It's not like holy night, silent night. Like all the, we've kind of holified it. This hagiography of, of songs that we've, we sing about it, you know, like it's this beautiful starry night and it's all silent and there's a glowing baby in this warm barn and all the cows are there. You know, it's just beautiful. And of course, this drummer boy comes walking in at some point and they're like, get out of here, you know, what are you doing? The baby's trying to sleep. And uh, the, the story of Jesus God promised the anointed king is going to come and save his people from their sins. Think about what happened. I'm just going to run through this really quick because maybe, maybe you've heard me say this before, but it's worth, it's worth remembering the way God works 
Because we think to ourselves, here's how God's going to work. Here's how he should work. Here's how I want him to work. But here's the Christmas story. God sends his anointed king to a virgin girl. He shows up to a girl in their society. She does not have a lot of standing in their society, okay? Me too is a long way off. They don't even have hashtags yet. And he, the angel shows up to this girl and says, you're going to have a baby without any man being involved from God. She's already betrothed to a guy. So she's the only one that knows this. She's supposed to go and tell this guy, um, hey, Joseph, I'm going to have a baby from God. He's going to be like, okay. <laughs> no. Joseph did not want to hear that. He did not. He hears she has a baby. The last thing he's going to believe is that it's from God. Right? Is this a weird story? So she's going to have a baby from God. Joseph was like, okay, good thing that you told me. Let's go ahead and just cancel this, this wedding, right? Until the angel shows up and tells Joseph, hey, Joseph, she, she's not lying. This baby she's going to have is from God. You need to take care of her. He's like, okay. So now Joseph and Mary have to tell their families it's true. The baby is from God, right? Like, are you guys kidding? I mean, have any of you had kids? If I have three daughters, all right? If they show up and tell me the baby's from God, I'm going to be like, uh-uh. That might have happened once. <laughs> Nobody's believing this story. Mary goes away, and then God had promised throughout all of history. There, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, and we know that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of God. Mary lives in Nazareth, 96 miles away. Or Nazareth. Where does Mary live? Someone help me out. She lives somewhere else. She lives 96 miles from Bethlehem. They end up in Nazareth, sorry. So here's the promised anointed Messiah who's been promised to be born in Bethlehem for 300 years. God shows up and gives a baby to a virgin 96 miles away who's not married yet. So her husband has to kind of protect her because she's in this state of like already married but not yet. And uh, so Joseph then gets the summons from Rome, their oppressors who are, who are occupying their land, you have to go register to pay taxes now in your place of birth. Well, Joseph's from Bethlehem. So now they have to jump on a donkey, right? He has to take his pregnant wife, who's just about to have a baby apparently, and go 96 miles. And this is not like on the interstate. Think about where they live. They, they're going through the mountains. This is a dangerous journey. What is God doing? This is the Christmas story. So they, they end up in Bethlehem. I'm missing up my towns. They end up in Bethlehem, and we all know the story. We sing about it. There's nowhere to stay. Oh, how beautiful. There's nowhere to stay for the king of kings, for God's promised king, for the baby that he's sending to save the world. Why didn't God send him to the Taj Mahal in Jerusalem? Like, the best place ever. He should have showed up, like, on the roof of their best hotel, right? And just lights everywhere. And it's like, he's come. No. He shows up with this ragtag two people. They show up and there's no place for them to stay. And he has to go stay in a barn, which is most likely not really, it wasn't nice, right? It was a kind of probably like a cave with maybe like a little roof to give more uh, shelter to the animals. So God sends his promised king, the king of kings, to go stay in a barn with his 
family. And he's born in this place where animals eat. He's put in the manger. When I grew up, I thought a manger was like an awesome thing. You know, it was like a comfortable baby bed. It's not. It's a, it's a feeding trough for animals. Is this a crazy story? What is Jesus talking about when he says the Father knows? The Father's got this. But I, I say this story because I want to encourage you and myself. God works in ways that we cannot comprehend sometimes. We think to ourselves, is this your story, God? Is this what you're doing in my life? You're stupid. You don't have this. You don't understand how it should be working out for me. Do you know who I am, right? Like, come on. This is how you're supposed to work, and this is, the, this is him sending the king of kings into our reality. This is how God works sometimes. We don't always get it. Mary didn't understand fully. Joseph for sure didn't understand. The people in Jerusalem didn't understand, or Bethlehem didn't understand, or else they would have given him the best place they possibly could have. And then he shows up at a place and they try to kill him by killing all of the babies in that town. This is an insane story. <laughs> this is not silent night, <clears throat> holy night. Uh, this is crazy. But this is how God works. I believe the scriptures are, are the story of God. I believe that God has chosen to represent, to, to show himself in history. He wrapped his truth in history, in stories. And that's how we get to know who God is. So this is how God works. The Father knows what's going on. It seems crazy to us, but the Father knows what's going on. This plan worked out perfectly the first time. The Father knows what's going on, and Jesus is encouraging them. You guys, nobody knows the day or the hour when I'm coming back. The Father knows. So stay in tune. So stay alert. So watch Watch out. Look at him. Don't lose sight. Don't get distracted. And I think this Christmas story can help us remember that the Father knows what's going on and has a good plan, even though sometimes it just doesn't feel good to us. Mary and Joseph eventually got through this, and they said, this is, this is good. Jesus, as far as we know, never complained about his childhood, <laughs> you know, the pictures of him laying in a manger that they had in the photo album. He wasn't upset about it. And this Christmas story can encourage us. The Father knows what's going on. The Father has a perfect plan that works out so crazy sometimes that we just can't wrap our heads around it. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching us and encouraging us to, to have faith in, the, in God's concern for us. And he, and he says this to us. Matthew 6, 24 through 33, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. It isn't, isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. 
They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and are thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The Father knows what we need. Point two, are you all ready for this? Maybe you've heard that. Emphasis on the y'all, okay? So I always burn tortillas. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. But uh, to me, tortillas are like the perfect food container. And it doesn't really matter what kind of food it is. A tortilla will enable me to wrap it up and take it with me and just eat whatever it is, right? So I, I cook tortillas a lot, like eggs, chicken, beef, name it. Like whatever it is, it could go in a tortilla, right? Salad. And uh, so I just go in the kitchen, and the other, even the other day, I, was, I, I began my process again of cooking tortillas, and I heat up my pan. What I don't, I don't heat up the pan. I'm not as good as Caleb. Caleb is a master chef, if you guys don't know. I had dinner at his house, and he had a, a, like a laser thermometer that he put on the pan <laughs> over Stephanie's shoulder while they were cooking tortillas to make sure that the pan was the right temperature. I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. I just put the cold pan on the stove, turn it on high, throw my tortillas on, <laughs> and I'm going, right? So why do I always burn the tortillas? Because... I put the tortillas on, and you guys know what happens next, right? Now I'm going to get stuff ready. So the tortillas go right out of my mind. And they, they weren't cooking at first because the pan was, it wasn't hot. So I got time. But the pan's exponentially getting hotter because I just cranked it up to high. And then I'm just like preparing my stuff. And the other day, even as I began to cook some tortillas, I said to Angie, why do I always burn tortillas? And she's just like, and oftentimes I'll come back and she's like, I took your tortillas off. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Because I just get so distracted. It's like, okay, tortillas, now I got to get the thing, got to get the drink, got to get my bag, this and that, I'm doing this. And then I turn around and it's like smoking. My tortillas like all black and crispy. I'm just like, not again. Dang it. I burned the tortillas again. And, it, you know, I hate crispy tortillas. I like the soft, warm, just like spongy, rollable tortillas. It's so delicious. I'll just eat tortillas, right? Like just straight up nothing even on them. And uh, it's because it's so easy to get distracted in the midst of doing, of doing stuff. Like other things come flooding into my mind and I've completely forgotten about my tortillas. That's what happens to us sometimes at Christmas when we, it's a celebration of the anticipation of the gift of God, even looking forward to the, to the return of Christ. And we're so wrapped up in lunch and dinner and plans and purposes that we just forget. We get distracted. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, says, keep your eyes open and be alert. He uses two terms. And the thing about our language is that it's so confusing because I could say you, right? And I could be talking to all of you. 
but I have to say all of you to let you know that it's all of you, because I would just say you. You don't know if I'm meaning you or you, right? So that's why our neighbors to the south have, you know, are more advanced than us in language. They use a term called y'all, right? So they help us understand y'all. And I want you to, I just, I always harp on this, but I want you to remember most of the you in the New Testament is y'all. And when Jesus says to them, keep your eyes open, he uses a term, second person imperative, plural, keep your eyes open. He says, y'all keep your eyes open. Y'all stay alert. He's not saying you, Jamie, you do this by yourself. You stay alert. He's saying y'all stay alert. And he tells a story about people working in a house, right? They work together. And this is what saves me from burning tortillas is that I have a partner, Angie, who's generally around, and she knows that I'm just going to walk away and forget the tortillas for some reason. And so she automatically just, she can multitask, you know, like nobody can. <clears throat> I can't multitask. And so she just puts it in her multitasker, like, okay, I got to watch John's tortillas now because he just put them on and, and he's going to burn them, right? And then he's not going to be happy about it. And so she just kind of takes over for me and I can't do it on my own. Like, I it's weird. I, that's why I even said, like, why do I burn? I know I'm going to burn these tortillas. Even as I'm putting them in that pan, I think, to my, I'm going to forget about this, and I'm going to burn these. And I walk away and even forget that I even thought that. I can't even, I can't even pay attention that long to that. We need each other to be able to pay attention. When Jesus is saying, stay alert, keep your eyes open, he's not, he's not encouraging you to do that by yourself. He's not telling you to go out in the wilderness and just watch for him. <clears throat> He's telling you that you're part of something. You're part of a group of people. You're together with others, and you need help to, to stay alert. You need help to watch what's going on. So remember the y'all. So he's saying, are y'all ready for this? Stay ready, because y'all are going to need one another when I go. And we together collectively represent now Jesus, who came by himself, but he was never alone. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He worked by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's our example from the very beginning. And we need one another to be able to keep our eyes open, to be able to stay alert. We need that partnership. He says to his disciples in John chapter 13, you might have heard this. Think about it, though, in light of the fact that he needs, that we need one another. And it's not like we need one another so we can make it. Because Jesus has already paid the price for our sins. You can receive eternal life by God's grace through faith. There's nothing that you can have ever done or need to do to earn that free gift from God. It's freely offered because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why he died. He didn't die so you can try your hardest to be a Christian. He died so that we could become freely adopted into God's family. So we don't need each other to get saved. We need Jesus for that. We need each other to tell other people about Jesus. He says, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. <laughs> so yeah, it's nice that we have a good family, a good community, and, and we love one another. But Jesus intends for that love to be infectious. 
He intends for that, our love for one another, our community, for that love to go viral. It's not just that we need love. We do. We need God's love. But we can't love without God's love, truly. And when we've received the love of God, it's going to spill out. It's more than we need intentionally from God so that we can share it with other people. So that our love for one another in our community could actually be something that other people look at and say, oh, you must be Jesus' disciples, right? That's amazing. It's so easy to lose our focus, and we need each other. Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, just another encouragement. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that uh, the day of his return is drawing near. Are we ready for this? It's y'all. I, I can't say y'all, but and me. <laughs> I, I'm included in that. I'm not like some, somehow separate. I need other people. We need the body of Christ, the people of God, not only to help us stay alert, to help us keep our focus, to help us not forget what, what we're shooting for, but also to show the love of God to the world. How can I show the love of God to the world if they don't see it going on in me with other people? So point three. My point three is that point one plus point two equals point three, right? So for all you mathematicians out there, I'll make you happy. So point one and point two equals point three. Anticipation. What is anticipation? Seeing something before it comes, like being ready for it. Jesus is saying, be ready. Be, be in this state of like anticipation because I'm coming back. This is a promise that he made. This is a promise that he's already kept once and he's gonna keep again. He says, be ready. And anticipation is sort of like a foretaste, right? It's like you know what's gonna happen and you're getting ready for it and that getting readiness, that readiness sort of demonstrates what's going to happen, okay? And I, I wanted to show you, because it, it's kind of like a movie trailer, right? You haven't seen the movie yet, but you've seen the trailer, right? Like you say, have you seen the new trailer? That's, that's what we always say. Did you see the new trailer that's coming out? And then we watch the new trailer, right? But one of my favorite, and I, can't, I couldn't play it for you because our computers suck, but uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is Honest Trailers. I don't know if you guys have ever watched Honest Trailers, Okay. So they actually, movie trailers are like, tell you the story of a movie, and then you go see it, and you're like, ugh, that was horrible, you know? But the trailer was like the best thing about it, because they just put all like the best stuff in the trailer, right? But Honest Trailers goes back and says like, here's what this movie is really about, you know? So I had an Honest Trailer for the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Claymation uh, thing I was going to show you. You can go home and watch it, but he's like... This is, you know, the guy's kind of the trailer voice. He's like, this is a, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's funny. You know, he's like, the first thing you think as you watch this on his trailers as an adult is like, this is so much weirder than I remember. And it's just like such a bizarre story. And he's like, and he kind of sums up what, the, what it's really teaching, you know. He's like, you know, what we learn from this movie is like being different is bad and you should be shunned from other people. Unless your difference is useful, you know, then you can be used by other people. And it's just like, it's, it's so interesting, you know, how, they, how the honest trailer breaks down, like, the real movie. So definitely worth watching. 
Um, but this is the point for us. Anticipation as a, as, a, as a body of Christ, as a community of believers, is to be a foretaste of what's coming, of what we look forward to. And the question for us is, what would the honest trailer about our community sound like if they did an honest trailer of Renton Community Church? Like, as a foretaste of what Jesus is going to bring into this world. I've, I've, I've actually thought about that. Like, what would, what would come across? But what is it that we expect? What is it that we now look forward to? In Christmas time, we're rehearsing, remembering the anticipation of the Messiah and the gift that God has given to the world in his son, in Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus because this is the birth of our new life. This is the birth of eternal life, the gift of God. This is the birth of our, of our, our savior, right? This is something worth celebrating. It's something worth remembering. But now we look forward again to the return of the king, right? To the return of Jesus when he comes back. And what is it going to be like? If we don't, if we haven't, maybe we haven't really thought about, like, what is Jesus going to do? What is it going to be like when he comes back? It's going to be like what he did when he was here, right? What was Jesus like? This is just an encouragement. Go read all the gospels. Read Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. Just read about what Jesus was like and just kind of let that question like drive your, your thinking as you read through it. What is it going to be like when Jesus comes back? What is it that I'm anticipating? Maybe you have this bizarre idea from Bugs Bunny in your head that you're going to be on a cloud wearing a toga, playing a miniature harp in some kind of ethereal, heavenly state. Like, do you really know what, what God has promised to us? Do we know what we're anticipating? God did say it's better than we can even imagine, but have you really thought through, like, how can our community reflect the reality of what Jesus is going to bring back, what Jesus is going to set right, if we don't really have a vision for that? One of, the, one of my favorite passages in Scripture gives us a, a clear description and, you know, summary form from Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, in this vision of John. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain, all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. What do we look forward to in Jesus' return? No more death. No more sorrow or crying or pain. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. When Jesus was here, he, 
He took people that couldn't walk and made them walk. He, he gave sight to the blind. When Jesus was here, he prayed for his enemies. He prayed for those that persecuted him. What do we look forward to when Jesus comes back? Justice. The cry of justice rings out around the globe right now. People want justice, but what does it look like? When Jesus comes back, he's going to show us true justice. There will be justice in this world. God will set things right. That's what we anticipate. That's what we look forward to. So how do we become a foretaste of that reality? How can we live in such a way that we're demonstrating that? Bringing bringing, uh, help bringing comfort to those who are, who are sorrowing, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. This is the challenge for us. If you've been following Jesus for a while, like what, is the, what does your life look like as a, as a trailer of the kingdom of God? Like this Christmas. And then it just rots right in the middle of the scene. Like what is, what is our life? You know, it wouldn't be an individual person, right? It would be a church. It would be a community, like, boom, here's what it's going to look like. And people would say, like, I want to see that movie. Like, I want to be part of that kingdom because of the foretaste that they get. That's the challenge for us this morning is to trust God enough to have faith in the God who works these crazy stories out for his glory, that he's put us together so that we can live differently enough so that people would see there's a place where Christ's love is manifest. There's a place where the kingdom of God is starting to break into our reality. And we know there's a theological phrasage that we always use. It's already here, but it's not yet fully, fully here. Already, but not yet. <clears throat> That's our life. Following Jesus is already walking as if the king of kings rules and reigns in our life because we trust him and we don't have to enslave ourselves to money but walking as if it's not yet here and anticipating the full reality of the time when we just get together and chill with the family of God and celebrate the victory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you help us not to lose sight, not to be distracted from what you've called us to do? Lord, help us not to be overburdened with the the story that you're working out in our lives. Help us not to lose sight of the fact that you know what's going on, that you have a plan and a purpose for all of these things that happen. Even as we face trials, even as we face uh, whatever it might be in this season, would you help us to stay focused, Lord? And I pray for this church. I pray that we would be a foretaste of your kingdom. I pray that you would knit us together that the love of Christ would be demonstrated in us and through us so that the people that <clears throat> see us would say that's, that's the love of Christ. Those people must be Jesus' disciples. Lord, make us your disciples, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things, <clears throat> one of the things that unites us in Christ is to celebrate every week the the communion, uh, the, the Lord's table. We come as families, we come with our friends, our groups, our, our, our community, and we remember that Jesus' body was broken 
and his blood was shed to make us right in God's sight. And we need his righteousness every week, every day. We need to hold on to the gospel message that it's not by our own works that we've been saved, but because of his blood. And he said, take this bread, my body that's broken, 